Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery, but today is a gift. It is not our abilities that show what we truly are. It is our choices. Hello and welcome to Jen Taylor Rerouting, where being rude is never acceptable, but sarcasm is welcome and swearing isn't always a bad option. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to Jen Taylor Rerouting. Today I have with me, like literally with me, sitting at my dining room table, Meg, how are you? I'm doing great, Jen, and thanks for letting me sit here at the table with you. I know, I feel a little stalked right now. Um, you should. <laughs> So this is the interesting thing. I, I don't think it's just Reno. I think it's kind of a seven degrees of separation that you've been in Reno for two years. I've been here for almost 13. I got a text from one of my closest friends who is my book editor saying, you need to meet Meg and interview her. And then I literally ran into you two days in a row immediately after that. So I, I don't know if it's a, if it's a, what's out in the universe. It's a God shot. It's a whatever, but that was very cool. As a matter of fact, we high five on a run. I didn't know who you were. Exactly. <laughs> and then I found out I was interviewing you. <laughs> so, um, okay. Tell me about yourself. Okay. So many moons ago, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay area, East okay. Bay. And the funny thing was back then and today, there was just something incongruent for me. The one thing that worked is I discovered at a young age, I love water. But back up because something happened to you uh -huh, yes. at one of the happiest places in the world, correct? Am I yes. right? Yeah. What happened? Well, when I was about three or four years old, um, my mom had me on the edge of the Disneyland hotel pool. And, you know, I'm waiting in the pool and all, and she's sitting there. And the next thing she knows, she's looking down at me. I'm on the bottom. And I'm looking up at her with this bright smile and waving. And there was absolutely nothing traumatic about it for me. Like I was so comfortable in the water. And so it was no surprise at the age of six, I literally begged my parents to join uh, what was called an AAU competitive swim team. Pool was across the street from us in Concord. And they said yes, and that set me on a journey of almost 12 years of competitive swimming. So your mom was worried, oh my God, my daughter's drowning. Right. You were like, cool, put me in competitive swimming. <laughs> okay. So San Francisco, now you're here in Reno for the last couple of years. Right. So that took you, you, you did that? You did the competitive swim? I did, I did. I, um, yeah, like lots and lots of following that black line at the bottom of the pool and coach yelling at you and it was like foggy or it was cold or it was hot. And I discovered a love of team and all uh, that and how quiet it was under the water because we all have those times in our lives that are more tumultuous than others, but things right. were pretty tumultuous in, in my daily life. And I didn't know it then, but the, the sheer fact I could put my head under the water and have it be quiet and be around really fun people, that made all the difference. That's true. I lived in Hawaii way long time ago, 91 probably, and I had never been snorkeling. I hadn't spent much time in the water. Mm. And holy cow, it's like you've just disappeared into a different world. Right. And so that, I completely understand that feeling. So what was tumultuous? Hmm. So the realities are dad, um, he drank. He was lovely, but that triggered mom. 
mom was in survival. She was working seven days a week, first one of the first Century 21 franchise owners in 1970. So here she was, she's 30 years older than I am, you know, rocking it out in business, really grinding it. And um, she'd come home and it's like, it would just set her off and there was a lot of arguing. Right. A lot of doors slamming. And uh, I come from a yours, mine and ours family. So I'm the only ours by nine and a half years. So by the time I was nine, my siblings were out of the house. So I was, you know, like a, like an only child. An only child in the family, mm -hmm. right? Very unique situation. Yeah. And constant tension. Constant tension. And so I would spend a lot of time with my Nana. She was one of the pivotal people in my life. And really my best friend growing up. Just this rock star wore a hat and gloves. And big presence, literally, 5'10", broad-shouldered, Ukrainian you know, with amazing stories. And uh, so I just kind of followed her around and spent most of my time with her. So then did the drinking and the tumultuous, dad wasn't abusive or angry or nothing. No, very no. mellow. Very mellow. Lovely person. Okay. But mom, because when I think about dad and drinking, that brings horrible images into my mind. But that's not what it was like at all. No, it was actually that, you know, the tension. Um, and you know mom was the hard one she how was, interesting huh? she so she was the sharp elbowed and you know still is you know um and so it's it's it, it's interesting and to discover now my dad's been gone since like 2005 and to be like wow what interesting choices i made to sort of walk in her track of 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 story and uh separate myself up until the time you know I got married and then um, found out my dad was ill and then I spent a lot of time with him. Wow okay so San Francisco your mom's here in Reno now so when did all that what happened? Okay so parents divorced in my early teens a really funny thing is my mom sat me down after going to a camp over the summer and she says I want to ask your father to leave but I want to know it's okay with you. And so she had been divorced already. I had a sister and brother. And so there was something with her. And I said, well, mom, it's not going to impact my relationship with dad. I'll get to see him whenever I want. And I'll never forget. She kind of cocked her head and looked at me, sort of like the dog does. And <laughs> like she couldn't believe this, you know, 12 or 13-year-old had that response. And I have since learned that, you know, I really took on that parent-adult role at a young age, managing a lot of things. And, um, yeah, yeah. So that was, a. and then there were some nuances on with the divorce. It was a lengthy divorce, both parents and real estate. And I actually had to testify in court as to which parent I wanted to live with. They used to do that a lot actually. Mm -hmm. And now they don't like kids anywhere near the courthouse. Mm -hmm. And so what did you, God, how, what was that like? You know, uh, looking back, I'm like, how did I not lose it? And and I, I think about the image of me as a young girl sitting there and going, I want to live with mom. It's like very matter of factly, like I'm 25, 30 years old. And that's also, it's like, I really never truly had that experience of childhood. And I stepped into working in the family business at a young age. I was a competitive swimmer, getting up at five in the morning. You know, I, there was a lot of routine and regiment to my life and a lot of following why did you choose mom? 
Oh boy. Well, you know, I, I, I bought into that was going to be um, the stable person that, you know, dad was irresponsible. I, of course, had had some experiences like having to be in a car with him when he was, you know, drunk. And, you know, there were bumpers that got damaged and signs that got taken out. And I was really angry. So it is an interesting question to ask because some of those instances mom said get in the car. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think people have to understand. It's really hard to understand the 70s. Hmm. And just, it was really, really a different world back then with um with drinking and with relationships and with divorces like i'm surprised your mom was such a badass at work mm -hmm. because that was an exception back then you were still a secretary you were looked down on yes. it was before and women's live and all that stuff i mean mm -hmm. it didn't really change the attitude mm -hmm. Really, I don't think when I look back at all of that. So I think that's really interesting. Your mom was that really strong personality. Probably didn't really fit in anywhere, I would guess. No, because she was considered, you know, of course, my dad contributed to this because that was the day where the men were having meetings at the bar at lunchtime, you know, drinking lunches. And she was a bitch. Right. And simple, like that bitch. Right. Like she's ruined my life. Da, 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 da. And, Concord, you know, when you're in real estate, it was a small town relative. Mm -hmm. Everybody knew everybody. So you did competitive swim, parents divorced, and you were not even quite in high school yet mm -hmm. going in. So did you continue the, the, the swimming? I did. I did. Okay. So not only did I swim competitive AAU, which is year-round, I swam four years varsity uh, at a high school in Concord and uh, played softball, and, you know, and I worked. Right, which was also not uncommon. I remember my first job at 14. Mm -hmm. We could work really young and we could work anywhere. Right. There were no labor laws. or yeah. <laughs> We made it all right. <laughs> I remember working at a restaurant getting my ass pinched in high school, and that was, like, not really a big deal. No. Even though you didn't like it and you wanted it to be a big deal, it really wasn't a big deal. No. So different, different era back then. So did you move out? Did you go to college? So I did go to college, I didn't move out. So here's the thing, I was really shy. I was really reserved. And because my mom was so dominant, like it was, there was a book that came out, management style or leadership style of Attila the Hun. I don't know if you ever saw it, but um, I was like, did mom write this? <laughs> so, okay. uh, you know, I, I continued in the family business. And so I went to St. Mary's College in Moraga. And it was close to home. And I'm like, live at home, got a refrigerator, got a washer dryer. And our family business was a few miles from the house. Wow. So that, but that worked well for you. It worked well for me. And, and here's the other thing. It's like, I, my mom, my mom was faced with, I think what a lot of women in particular can come up against what we call it, like keeping up with the Joneses, but like that external, you know, don't, let's not be happy and satisfied inside let's like seek other people's uh, approval with things and stations in life so she wanted me to go to Vassar or Smith or Stanford and in my infinite wisdom I said I am never going to work with anybody that cares if I go to Stanford and I went to a girl's high school I'm there's no way I'm going to a girl's college <laughs> right 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 
So yeah, so I went over the hill to, to Moraga and it gave me a great opportunity. I got to go to school in London for a term. And, um, you know, in high school, I got to travel internationally and I really, ah, the bug. <laughs> the bug. Yeah. Okay. That was one of the questions I was going to ask you when you started to travel. So you stayed at home and you got into real estate in the family business. Okay. Yeah. And guess what? Getting into real estate and family business, I never was licensed to this day. I have, I've sat for the license. I never got the license. So my observation was mom was a babysitter to a hundred plus adults. And so I worked in property management. You know, I got the glorious jobs of sweeping the parking lot, filling the Coke machine and filing as the owner's daughter and working on rental properties. But, you know, it was a means to make money and buy things like, hey, and that feeds into the same thing you're talking about with your mom, which I mean, consumerism, first of all, there are things that we need. Right. Second of all, there are things that we want, mm -hmm. but you traveled. So at what point did you realize the keeping up with the Joneses and the buying the stuff was not a good way to spend your money compared to the adventures? Because that's a minimalistic uh -huh. attitude. All right. All right. We're going to have to fast forward a whole. Oh, it's okay. Long it's okay. <laughs> so um, I would say right around my 50th birthday. Oh my God. <laughs> we're just 28, both of us. Yes. We just turned 28. We, we're, yeah. yeah we're, we're combining our ages. <laughs> wow. Okay. So that was, that was a fast forward. Total fast forward. Like I continued to, to talk about one thing and do something else over and over and okay. over again. And it wasn't until I made choices that, that left me without the one thing that was working in my life, if you will, meaning the bank account I didn't have to look at, mm -hmm. but everything else in my life was not great. And people who, well, my ex-husband's a doctor, mm -hmm. so I didn't come from money, but then I experienced money. Mm -hmm. Money makes a lot of things easy. Sure. When you don't have to worry about paying the electric bill, if you can go buy a new set of sheets without thinking about it and your kids don't ever have to worry about having shoes, there is definitely some security and peace of mind in that, but there is, it does not equate happiness. No. And there's this misconception that having money, having that bank account you never have to look at means that things are easy or that you're happy and they aren't because it's very empty and unfulfilling. And I knew at the end of that relationship with the doctor who said, you know, if you stay married to me, you can stay at home. You don't have to work all these great things. It was all money related. Mm -hmm. And I thought I would rather be miserable financially, live my life in a double wide with someone who treated me well and thought life was an adventure than ever have a bank account. I'd have to look at again. Absolutely. But you went a lot of your life battling that. Very much so. I mean, I made choice after choice coming from two entrepreneurial parents. Right. I chose the, the W-2 life. There's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I had some great experiences in business, you know, coming in the door as the assistant, walking out the door as one of the owners. Mm -hmm. um, but I was not doing, I kept avoiding the things that really, in my heart of hearts, the things that today... Um, I know I've touched on it is because I involuntarily cry. And as a girl who wore many, many, many masks for upwards of five decades of my life, you know, it was so freeing to start to remove them. And scary as hell, I bet. 
Yeah, and you know, when you when you can strip away, and that's what part of the, the money, I realized I, I made choices that forced that strip away. You know, so talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, my career, ironically here, um, it was in money management. So <laughs> I, uh, I helped, you know, build an organization and work in that. And, you know, I didn't manage money, but I was involved with the people and the marketing and the clients. I really love the client aspect, like serving our clients. Cause you know, without clients, you go home, pack your bags and go home. But, you know, and I was making a really good sum of money. And, and for a long time, having a great time because everything was like a fully funded startup. And that was the common thread, family business, one iteration of a business, change it again. And it was like that creation mode, but I didn't really identify any of that until the fast forward. So I was you know, late to the party. I got married at the age of 38, 39 to a man who's a nuclear engineer who had a 16 and 18 year old and they had unfortunately lost their mother to suicide. Wow. And so, but here, here's the deal. I, the reality is I had a codependent nature as, as an adult child of an alcoholic and any other things I'm responsible for that I became aware of the circumstances. My ex-husband is an incredible human being. Uh, fortunately, we are still friends that um, I, I wanted to write in and fix all this, like make them all better. And that, you know, setting myself aside for others prevailed. Right. Yeah. A lot of us are guilty. I think that's pretty common women in our age demographic. Mm -hmm. Because we did take care of parents a lot. And that was just kind of the way families worked back then. Mm -hmm. So what, why, what made you wait so long to want to get married? Cause you went a long time without doing it. And then you went in barrels blazing doing it. Yes. So the, the reality was I knew at a young age, I didn't want children of my own and I could be candid, like selfish. Like I wanted, I, when I was a teen, sophomore in high school, I got to travel for three months in Europe as part of a, a you know, study program. So I'm like, yeah, I don't want anybody interrupting this. And so I chose not to have children. My sister fortunately did have some. <laughs> so, save the day, <laughs> save the day. But, you know, and I also thought if I wait, it'll save me a divorce. Oh, but, but really my mom got to a point where she, said the following, like, you're going to be a spinster in the rocking chair on the porch um, or the, the lesbian rocking on. I mean, she came up with <laughs> lots of different labels. It was, you know, and it was, you know, to, to not be hard on her, it's a generational right. thing too. And so I jumped in, you're right. And I, I lasted from start of relationship to divorce 11 years. Right. So... And you can't save the day. I don't know if anybody else has not figured that out yet, but you can't save the day um, ever in almost any situation. So how much traveling did you do between that first time in high school until, did you travel with your ex-husband? Was that part of the relationship? Um, it was uh, as a catalyst of him shifting jobs. And mm. so he went to work for a company that services uh, nuclear entities around the world. The interesting thing was, I think what attracted him, and we met on Match.com, 
in 2002. And he, uh, I think it sounded glamorous to him because he'd spent his career working inside of a nuclear power plant. Right. So it sounded really attractive, but his nature and what makes him so gifted in his work is like that is work. So we, yes, we went to Madrid and he had lots of other trips planned. Some I chose not to go on because I'm not going to go to Cape Town for four days. That wasn't experiential for me. But I have ongoingly traveled. And as I got older, I discovered the love of being on holiday in the jungle of Honduras or taking a bath in a river in Croatia versus staying at the Montalembert in the 7th. And I get that I have the benefit and I'm very fortunate to have had the spectrum of experience. Yes. But I make a choice to really be connected with people wherever they are. So that's a common thread for you in your whole life is that connection, the creation and the connection, mm -hmm. right? So tell me some lows. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk, we, yeah. let's talk lows. Yeah. So lows are, um, realization of what's going on in our family, you know, the degradation there. Um, my best friend at the time, my grandmother, uh, dying of leukemia. And I spent a lot of time with Nana and I'm grateful I did, but that was devastating to me in 1988, having her die. And, um, I think just, uh, not really is taking a stand for myself, like noticing now at how many corners I didn't, but you know, in the moment, it's not super clear. You may, you may be like covering things up, like buying things, a glass of wine or two or three um, relationships. So I discovered that it was like the way in which I numbed myself because the reality was until I was, 50, almost 51, I didn't know what mattered to me. That's a long time to go. It is. And, and, you know, you can, you can imagine the disappointments of, you know, my marriage not working and making that choice, leaving my career voluntarily, thinking it was going to be easy to go from an identity of a partner and a COO and big salary to, hi, I'm Meg, hire me. Yeah. And not being, I mean, how did I get that far along in life and not be aware? Because I told everybody around me, if you'd known me then, you'd hear titles don't mean anything. They don't tell you what I'm good at. So I was that detached and that I was saying things so that I could hear them. Actions speak louder than words and all. But still, when, when I was a unaware, just really numb. And so, you know, that was that undertone of numb and the falseness that I was living, the, the masks. Like you would meet me and I had a fabulous life. Well, we all do. <laughs> Have you not looked at Facebook lately? <laughs> um, I think we all do that to some degree. And I think everything's got some truth and most and something most things have lie in it too and i don't even think that it's malicious or intentional a lot of the time but i don't even know if it's possible to be every facet of ourselves 
mm-hmm. at the same time. Cause like right now I'm not my mom facet mm-hmm. and I don't want to be right. cause I don't have to be. Mm-hmm. And when I'm hanging out with my daughter this morning, I wasn't being my friend facet. Mm-hmm. So it's not even possible. So sometimes I think it's masks and sometimes we're just shifting the facets of who we are, mm-hmm. but you were, <laughs> so what was that like to say? Titles don't mean anything right up until you didn't have one. <laughs> well, and even when I didn't have one, you know, I, I, I started to like manufacture it. And how did I manufacture it? I went across the street and thought if the name on the, the door changed, the experience would change. So I went to a similar financial environment, but it had an international element and I had a friend. So I thought that was going to be different. Woefully, what woefully wrong. And then I started to like peel the onion back and I got a consulting gig with the Professional Golf Association because they're down there in South Florida and had the most fun. Didn't make the kind of money, right? But I got to be with people every day. I got to be outdoors, got to play golf and partnered with this amazing man who has taught me so much about life. And you know, that was just, just a glimpse, but still there was this filter that right. it was keeping that, that full self-expression and that full living and the realities at bay. So how scary was it? Well, how did the realization come that you're wearing masks and they're not true? <laughs> I mean, that had got, that has to be some sort of bottom. Yes. So fast forward, divorced, by the way, thinking that because I chose to divorce, that I could like walk out the door, I could come back to the Bay Area, and like I'm all good. Wow, yeah, you yeah. are totally. Yeah, like life's perfect. So I set out on walkabout. So I go to England to see friends, I go to Ireland, I go to Croatia and cycle, hike, and kayak. I go do stuff, right? And I come back. And I'm like, oh, eh. <laughs> Poor choices again. Now the money is like, falling by the wayside right right so i take another trip in september 2014 that involved new zealand and fiji and i come back and i'm like okay bullshit on i'm calling bullshit on myself i looked okay but i knew there was something going on like i didn't feel good mm-hmm. i hired a girlfriend of mine who went through the institute for integrative nutrition i said all right doesn't make sense but coach me and then I took something called the Landmark Forum, and it's uh, personal and professional development. And it was like in a weekend, I went, oh God, there, there's all those masks. And that was the beginning. Good beginning. I mean, yeah. bottom doesn't mean bad. It does mean bad, but it means great also. Yes. So you're not feeling well, you're not happy, you're having great experiences. Absolutely. Genuinely great experiences. Um, but it's kind of stuffing down the crap you don't want to deal with. Sure. So every time you came home, it was right back in your face. Sure. Yeah. And coming back home that time was my life was in storage. I had now walked myself to a place where everything I had, which wasn't much anymore, in storage and I almost didn't come back from Fiji I got an offer just to stay and ride around in a catamaran and deliver medical personnel around and I chose to come back went through rather you know traumatic re-immersion here 
going from a place like that to here. And then I, you know, said, okay, I'm going to hire my friend. And, you know, I was frustrated. And I'm like, I'm not losing weight. I'm not loving running. What's the deal here? Mm -hmm. And then finally, one day I woke up and the fog had lifted. I could see what mattered to me. And I went from making the statement to my sister, like she said, what happens if mom gets sick? This isn't going to be pretty. I said, I don't care. It's not my problem. Right? Right. Two, summer of 2015, moving into the house with my mom and stepdad. My mom's got Alzheimer's dementia set, set in, other health concerns. I mean, that's a huge shift yeah. between don't care, not my problem. So little by little, you your physical possessions are getting smaller, getting less, and in storage. So where did that play a part in everything? Because that's a mask. That's a huge mask. Yeah, you know, I was glorifying that. And the reality is, is I lived Airbnb to Airbnb in my home state. Where oh, wow. I have family and friends. Right for three months until I picked up and moved to San Diego and moved place to place down there. And, you know, so I, I was seeking and I kept thinking going here, going there, you know, that side door thing was going to make it all right. So hiring your friend, did you think that there was really going to be that big of a change? I had absolutely no clue, was skeptical. And, you know, approaching six months of coaching with her, I, I wrote her something and she goes, have you ever considered going through this program and providing this to others? And before she heard back from me, I would called and I would registered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you became, what, what did that entail? What did you come out of that with? Yeah. So I'm certified as an integrative nutrition health coach. And so it's a, it's on the prevention side, if you will. And it is less about food. It's more about what's going on in our lives that prompts our choices. Wow. So you had to look at a lot with yourself. A lot. And then to turn around and be able to do, well, if you'd gotten through that mm -hmm. and it was a great experience for you, you would want to turn around because you're all about connecting with people. So I would think innately, you'd instantly want to turn around and be able to do that for other people. Yes. And, you know, and again, we, we're going to come up against whatever we deal with. And I discovered that um, my opportunities to coach, what I chose as professional women, because in my 30s, working 80 hours a week, I thought balance was doing two triathlons a month. <laughs> oh my god we're so dumb <laughs> and, oh but they weren't iron man they were just these little olympic <laughs> distance things and i'm in a seated job guys all day long right. and i'm training with in my neighborhood were olympians right and so yeah i just i had cortisol stress and adrenal fatigue which you know 20 odd years later you still deal with and yeah so yeah, I wanted to help other professional busy women in a great healthy lifestyle and food habits, right? But everything that I was engaged with, they were in markets where it had to be done via the computer. And I'm like, oh, I wanna sit with you. Right. And I just was not at a place um, emotionally, financially and otherwise, um, or even you know, to take that leap of faith to create that model.
Okay. The online model. Well, the get on a plane and go meet with clients model. Oh, I mean, I can wow. do the Zoom. Yeah, I can do that all day long. It was just too disconnected for me. Wow. Okay. And there weren't enough people where you lived locally. So that's, that's so opposite of what most people want. I mean, I have an online business and I love that I can Zoom people and it sure. can be anywhere in the world. And you can connect with people that you're not right next door to mm -hmm. because that connection is so important. So I, in my mind, the internet has allowed us a way to more intimately connect with people we would never even hear about or, or meet. Where you actually want to get on the plane and fly. You still wanted that one-on-one. -on -one. I still wanted that one-on-one -on -one, no matter what the context was, whether it was work or finding out why somebody is where they are. In other words, if that's a jungle or a city somewhere in the world, like, are you from here? I, my curiosity is unending. Right. Uh, that I understand. Yeah. I completely understand that. So how did that, how did that business model work for you? It didn't. So sitting here today and not too long ago realizing that at the at the center of all this is i didn't love myself okay and you know, until we get there and are okay there so i had lots of reasons and excuses i'm very adept at the computer i i used to travel for business weekly um it was an excuse and it was disconnected from what I was saying again. It was like, I want to help people, but I was creating all these walls around it. What ways that it would fail. Yeah. Yeah. Because I wasn't willing to be paid. Like I have a dear friend in New York. She's like, Mike, when are you going to let people pay you? <laughs> wait till, wait till after you do me. <laughs> <laughs> Just, then you can, then I'll tell you to, <laughs> to charge people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so you went, geez, Meg. I mean, you went from, that's a lot of denial. Not that we don't all go through that, because we do. How did you get from, I don't care if mom gets sick, it's not my problem, to moving in with her and taking, and not just taking care of her, she, where is she at in her Alzheimer's and dementia? So in the last two years, she, her, her memory is, continues to decline, but her baseline of health declines. So she's a petite woman. You know, I'm noticing because I'm, I'm now trained in that, like noticing what's going on on the outside, whether it's skin tone, eyes, little infections, whatever, that's a, a function of the body failing. Yeah. And so, and then to, deal with your mother as a daughter, right? Like that constant and setting myself aside when I get triggered all the time. And realizing, you know, if she remembered, she'd remember. And like I said, she has sharp elbows. So sometimes it's not really friendly how it comes out, but yet the moments I see her sitting on the couch, just staring at space. And think about a woman I knew yeah that's yeah it's sobering very i remember when my i was very close to my grandmother too and i lived with her in high school and when she started to decline i would say well, where did you go on your outing today you know at the at the uh 
home where she was living and she'd say, oh, I don't remember, but I can tell you anything about 50 years ago. So I actually put together a book of her life because at that point in time, she couldn't remember what she had for lunch, mm -hmm. but she remembered anything from her childhood. And so for me, I so desperately didn't want to lose that connection, a connection. Mm -hmm. So I capitalized on what she remembered, which was not today. Yeah. And then it was not me. And that's very sobering Yeah, it because we all, I mean, we don't like to deal with our own immortality. And when it's staring you at the, in the face, mm -hmm. uh, it's a little devastating. So here you are now in Reno, Reno, Nevada, Reno, Nevada. <laughs> not New Zealand, no, Nevada. No, not, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Did you not read that right in the fine print? Um, from and you're away from the ocean so for i i can imagine growing up in in the ocean in california i've never i'm from new england so i haven't gotten that far west yet right. so i've only seen the ocean in california a couple times but to grow up in that environment and to live in that environment and to be in san diego especially with money mm -hmm. i mean reno's i i don't dislike reno uh but it's not San Diego or San Francisco or what's or South Florida where I lived for 20 years. Right. So the theme was love of water early. All right. San Francisco Bay area, pick up and move to South Florida, sight unseen in my twenties. And of course, loving and that I started swimming in the Atlantic and the Caribbean, wherever I traveled, the Tasman sea, you know, in Croatia and the waters around, right. Croatia. Um, and, and when I came here, I've been coming to Reno for over 40 years and I'm like, really Reno? And I had to fight, I had to fight that side door that I'd constantly dealt with my entire life. And then I'm like, oh yeah, it's a pretty cool place. It, it is. <laughs> it is a pretty cool place. It is. It's different though than what your love and your passion is. But it is a pretty cool place. I, when I moved here almost 13 years ago, um, when the plane landed and I got out, I started to cry. Mm -hmm. I thought, it's so ugly. This is so not any place I wanna be. But I just had this, that gut intuition that this was where I was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And like you said, trying to fight that. And then once you, once you kind of embrace it a little bit more, you realize that, like, open your eyes, put your head out of your ass, and, right. you know, and look around. Yeah. So I want to talk about people that made a difference to you. Mm -hmm. So I know you're Nana. Mm -hmm. What's the biggest, and I want to talk about the biggest, in what way mm -hmm. they impacted you. So do you want to start with her? Sure. Was she first? She was first, and she was just this presence. There was, she was unwavering. And if you think about a woman born in, in Canada in the early 1900s, man comes from Bechtel into the Canada to work on a project, brings her to the States as a young girl. And I mean, she was running a vitamin empire in the 60s and 70s. And I'm thinking, you know, and I just, I just loved being around her. And she was funny. Ah. You know, she just was, she was so playful and funny and just this essence of joy. 
I mean, down to the last minute, like, oh yeah, you know, grabbing me in the, in the hospital, pulling me behind a pillar and I'm thinking, oh God, the, the disease has taken over. Nana's lost it. And I said, what's the matter, Nana? She's like, that's my oncologist. If he sees me, he charges me. <laughs> so <laughs> awesome. <laughs> or the prank caller that like indecent things at two in the morning. All right, does anybody think they'd be this witty being woken up? He starts saying what he's saying. She's like, well, honey, I'm 82. If you want to come over, I'll try. <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah. Wow. She was definitely not in her generation mm -mm. at all. No. No subservience. I love that. <laughs> Outlived many husbands. I love that even more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and almost the oncologist. <laughs> So what, what came next? Who came next? I, Jody Borland, who was my seventh and eighth grade French teacher. Okay. Wild, like educated, like formally has a degree in English. Couldn't teach English worth anything, but she had us in this portable and she had us playing Mad Libs in French in seventh grade. This thing called Bart had come to town. We were the end of the station. She went to the school and she's like, well, I gotta take the, the students on a, um, you know, on a field trip. It's, it's, it's part of the curriculum. So she'd take us into the city to see Faust or La Boheme and go to Lefty O'Doul's for lunch. <laughs> or go to, go to Fenton's Ice Cream in Berkeley and tell them we're going to the museum. I mean, her idea of holiday, and now I know why it was like we had this kinship is, she would take a knapsack and go down the Amazon. Awesome. Yeah. You love ballsy women. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. Um, and then who was next? Diana Wu was my freshman um, accounting professor. Didn't speak English very well. I managed to insult her twice. Uh, <laughs> and she just laughed because she's like, you're right, Asians don't know how to drive. You know, that's oh, what oh she my said, God. said in front of like, because I made some really off. Yeah, never mind. So <laughs> <laughs> she took my words and made it more succinct. Uh, but, you know, we just had this kinship. And there were a couple of other prof female professors, but Diana was this one up until a few years ago when she died. Like, this is a woman that dictators around the world spent time with. She took the Christian brothers to, to China and took them on tour and other students. And so she went from being my professor to being a mentor and a friend wow. and responsible for me being on the board at the college and just, yeah, just, a, and I was, I was uh, honored to be able to speak of her at her service with her, her children there. And yeah. Cause she really made a difference in my life. Yeah. yeah pivotal ballsy women. Yeah. Um, but then, well, there's men too. You met someone. Yes. So, um, real quick, quick, I went on a trip to, uh, I had an opportunity to go to uh, Fiji to work in a mission hospital and no, I have no formal medical training, but friends of mine are nurses. So we end up in, uh, in this place, Buka Bay at this mission hospital and my friends are women's health nurses. And so they're doing paps all day for five days, but the Fijian people want to have medical care. And it's not like here where we get in our car, air conditioned car, and we drive to the urgent care. Um, one woman in particular uh, rode a boat for hours and hours, then got out and walked, rode a bus, walked some more, 
to walk through the doors not knowing if it was open, not knowing if the doctor was there. Because you don't just like ring up and say, hey, I'm coming on over. I'm three islands away, six hours. Um, and she walks in. She looks around the counter, opens her arms. She's dark, dark. I'm light. And she gives me an embrace and says, Bula Vinaka, which is the greeting of the gym. What she was there for, she had a hole in her leg that was infected. And so I got to know her a little bit because I got asked by the, the, the trauma doctor, he needed an extra set of hands. And so I'm like, okay, jungle medicine. So these women really were, we call them poor people of these islands. We call them poor. They are rich beyond belief. And we could learn a whole heck of a lot from them. Wow. Yeah. And then there's Ruben. So Ruben's the, you know, and there's so many people in my life, but Ruben is somebody very unique. So we went on a three-day holiday post working at the mission over in Tavuni. And I met Ruben and his wife, Diane, and two children um, on a dive boat we were taking from the same resort we were staying at. And um, again, I love water. So I'm very natural on boats, like hanging off the side. I'm like one of the, one of the staff, you know, kind of just like whatever. And so Ruben and I are bobbing in the water and I find out he works for the UN Capital Development Fund in the region. He's from Chattanooga, was in the Peace Corps, started in Kazakhstan and had many countries. His claim to fame or what he loved was he could, he could translate Kazakhstani to Creole. So he was a master linguist. And he's telling me, you know, about things and his character just showed through. Like he represented, his client was the country of Australia and he was catalyzing banking or money flow for these islands. And he was asked to do something that was not out, not an integrity. And he said, well, if that's the directive, we'll just agree to disagree. Well, I'm going to go on my way. So I immediately got to, to know who Ribbon was and we struck up a friendship and we emailed and I was sitting at a place here in town, the hub along the river one morning, realized I hadn't heard from Ruben. It'd been like months. So I'm like, I'm going to email him. And then I'm like, I wonder if he took that job, you know, in a very remote, poor area of the world. And so I Googled his name and it came up with in memoriam. Oh. And I, uh, it's still very difficult for me. And, and to give context, I interacted with this man for a matter of moments of life over the course of three days and the impact he had on my life. You know, I'm sitting there sobbing, you know, and it's not that he was 44 years old and he was hit by a truck doing what he loves, riding a bike. So like, that's great. Like he was doing something he loved, but you know, he left children and a wife but it was who he was and what he did in the world. And I'm like, damn it. Like, why am I not carrying his legacy? So that's been my question ever since. Like, I can't be Reuben, but like what he did for people. Yes, a lot of them marginalized by our definitions, but like, he was with people. He left an impact in every single interaction. That's quite a lesson, huh? Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't about his status. He understood that status was an illusion. We talked about that. It is, and it can do a lot of great things. It's not, 
it's not even minimizing it. It's just that it doesn't make a difference in your character. It can, it can make a bad difference in your character, actually. Sure. So I love the thought that every day it's possible to make an enormous difference in the life of someone else without ever knowing it. I mean, fortunately with you and Ruben, he knew, you know, you had that contact and stuff. But we're a very negative society mm -hmm. and we want instant gratification and we're very spoiled, like you said. I mean, in other parts of the world, it's not anything like this. But our attitude when we interact with people can completely change their life. And a lot of the times we will never know. So I think because that happened to me early in my life, it, somebody made a difference to me and they didn't know. And I'm glad I got to tell that person, but that I just knew every day that was possible. Mm -hmm. So how long ago was that, that you met him, that you wanted to? Mm -hmm. It was late September, 2014. So this was pre the awareness of what mattered to me, pre wow. coaching. So now, you know, I can thread everything together. Now you can thread it together. I can bring it all, I can bring it all together. And it's really about simplicity. Simplicity looks like go outside, take a breath, be in the sunshine, move a little, drink some water, get some sleep, eat some good food, be kind to others. It's that simple. But for some reason, many of us want to take the route of climbing the 18,000 foot peak and falling down the other side and then climbing back up. So a few years ago, when all of this was threading together, these people who have made this huge impact in your life and the masks that you wore, and then your mom getting sick, and then you hiring your friend, and all of that coming together, do you recognize yourself anymore? Or do you finally recognize yourself? Yeah, I'm glad you, glad you asked the second part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I finally went, oh, there I am. Because the way that it felt like inside is, is that I didn't fit anywhere. Mm -hmm. And um, my friend that coached me, Michelle Kramer, she, you know, we've talked about this. Because I, you know, I think many humans contend with their outward facing and who they know themselves to be on the inside mm -hmm. and introducing them to each other like recognizing wherever we go, there we are. And you're, you're right, we have facets to life. So, you know, I, I just think the walls we put around like who I am in business and who I am as, as a mom, who I am as an athlete or whatever are all distinct. There are aspects of it that aren't. Oh, absolutely. And there are threads that follow all of them. Mm -hmm. I mean, for sure there are threads that follow every facet. And that's the taking off the mask, I think. When you, when you remove that and you are the truest version of yourself, that part is in every facet. Mm -hmm. So how different is your life now? It's very different. I'm, I'm still, you know, finding my way. You know, life is a journey. And, and if 
fighting with impatience. <laughs> you know, I, I'm beyond human. And uh, but yeah, there's definitely in, in the mountain desert, mm-hmm. I have the fluidity that the dolphins that I used to watch. Yeah, I can, I can make those choices. Um, not get so mired with the monkeys in my head. Uh, yeah. And, you know, and thankfully having that, um, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful. I have the physical ability. I actually feel like I'm healthier and stronger today than I ever was, despite, you know, the quote accomplishments I've had in the past. They came at a very high cost. So now it's, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking at where the greatest impact is going to be. But I really think that the, the simple things I mentioned will be instrumental in that. And I think that, you know, if we're really going to catalyze our interactions as humans and creating some realm of, of harmony among us, then simplifying is the approach, not complicating. I always thought you should look at, <clears throat> when I coach people, what's stressing you out in your life? And when you come up with this list of the things that really trigger you or stress you on that list, which you have control over. And if you don't have control over them, like the thing that makes me the most pissed off is when people cut me off on the freeway. Well, you don't have control over that. So you have to learn somewhere to let those things go because you're making yourself crazy for no reason. And then those things that you do have control over almost a hundred percent of the time, making them more simple is the answer doesn't matter if it's your physical belongings and you minimize them or emotional baggage and you minimize them (laughs) well sure yeah and you know and noticing like how do you live your life and are you spending time with the people and the and the and the habits that go along with that so you know i spent a lot of years in 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 bigger business and you know i actually tried to knock on those doors again and then those doors closed and it's like finally realized, oh, they were meant to close. So, you know, today I work with Jackie and Amanda at Edible Reno Tahoe and Sacramento Magazines. Mm-hmm. And I have the opportunity to be a health coach or physio at an athlete training facility, spend a few hours helping them out on staff. And yeah, and it's, it's about starting because, you know, failure is really when we don't start. Yes, amen to that. Well, a lot of people thinking think the end of things, relationships or jobs, is the failure, and it's not. That was the learning experience. Mm-hmm. It really, there is no failure in any of that. But you're right. The biggest failure is not trying, not starting, not putting your ass on the line, not giving it a go, not being true to yourself. Right. Right. Yeah, it's the bits and pieces. It's. I say if, if we can get through life with bumps and bruises versus broken bones, it's, it's pretty good. And sometimes, um, such as myself, I'm so stubborn, you had to break me. <laughs> and so, you know, when you hit those lows and have to realize that, you know, you weren't really good at asking for help and you now have a broken wrist that takes a long time to repair, you got to ask for help. And so is, does it really work to say I'm a victim in this? Or is this actually a gift in a strange way? Always a gift in a strange way. Mm-hmm. I think it's always a gift in a strange way. And part of it is just our own. We, we're getting in our own way. Mm-hmm. So you're right. Yeah. So what's, what's in the future? Mm. Yeah. Well, to, uh, to continue sharing who I am, connecting with people, 
you know, that, uh, you know, I think sometimes we can get lost in words, but it's health and well-being. Like if we're all sitting here right now and somebody tells you 20, 30, 40 years from now, you will have Alzheimer's, you will have cancer. Will you alter the course of your present life? Will you give yourself the present of taking care of yourself first? So that's the message. And that, that, that one of many tools for that is getting outdoors and physically mm -hmm. moving and connecting in nature because you can connect with nature and the people who also enjoy it. And yeah, take on some challenges, you know, test yourself a little bit. So I'm going to do my first 30K trail run. Yay! It's <laughs> on my bucket list. All right. Well, Sierra Crest. Wow, <laughs> that's great. So those are, you know, those are some of the things. And they'll be like life has been. There'll be surprises along the way. But sitting in a closed room trying to figure it out doesn't work. No, that's not happening anymore. No. And the surprises are actually what I think they may be the hardest, but they're also the most fun. Yeah. 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 So, you know, finding someone who also loves to travel and who wants right. to be a co-creator and collaborator of life and business with me, that's also out there. All right, match.com. Here we come. <laughs> All along the trail. <laughs> that's a way better way to do it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. Jen. I really appreciate it. We, I need to do more of these dining room table talks. <laughs> it's fun. It is fun. All right, Megan, I'll put all your contact information because I know one of the things you like to do is hear people's story and gather information and travel and make those human connections. And so for people to get a hold of you, we'll give all that information. And that way, hopefully you can collect some more stories along the way. Absolutely. I'd love it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening in to Jen Taylor Rerouting. Like, share, and of course, comment. I welcome input with attitude. Get a copy of my book on Amazon, Hello, My Name is Warrior Princess, or check out my website, jentaylor.net. And if you still want more, sign up for one of my coaching packages.